0: If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want to share on this topic with you stuck in a rut, stuck in a rut. I have plenty of experiences of being stuck in a rut. I'm from the south, so there's a lot of farmlands, a lot of dirt roads. And as we'll see further on in this message, you can get stuck quite easily. Even on smooth surfaces, you can get stuck. And I've got people here in the church can vouch for that for me being in the snow. So, First Kings chapter 19, 1 through 16. It's going to be a little lengthy verse. Reading out of the New Kings James. I love this story because, well, it's me. Please stand for the word, please. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life, as the life of one with them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel's mad and she's ready to kill him. Plain and simple. She's ready to kill him. And when he saw that, he rose and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. By himself went and a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Wow. How ironic. This whole time I thought it was a juniper tree. and that's Well, okay, in the juniper tree is a King James Version, so that's what I studied from. This is my first time seeing the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better Than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went and In the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Herob, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore into the mountains, and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is the good part. Then the Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive anoint Hazel as the king of Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of something. As king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shapot the able Mahali Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Lord, we thank you for your word, God, and I just thank you for this opportunity to share what you've laid on my heart. God, I'm nothing without you, Father. I just pray that you will anoint these lips of clay. Lord, let these words just come out. I thank you right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a rut? Like I said before, I'm from the south, many dirt roads, and I've driven a school bus. I've driven a semi. Yes, I've driven a semi yes I've gone many places along the east coast places I never want to return to New York City is not a place I want to go again I thought I would take a little quick trip I went through I-95 instead of going the roundabout it would be a whole lot quicker Uh, three and a half hours later two miles further into it I was still sitting in one spot but that has nothing to do with this a uh but what is a rut when i was thinking about a rut i started thinking about my time of driving a semi and there's a section between memphis tennessee and nashville tennessee that is probably the most dangerous road i've ever driven in my life it's on interstate 40 and the problem is there's so much traffic that okay Having a semi you can haul anything from three thousand pounds to forty thousand pounds, okay, so you get a couple of probably hundred thousand trucks per day going thirty or forty thousand pounds over the same amount of asphalt you're going to get ruts okay you you're going to get ruts, and those are very dangerous in that spot because if you get out of that rut, you might flip you get into that rut and then try to get out on a car, you might roll over. I mean it's a very dangerous thing, a rut. Yeah. I started thinking about the dirt roads, clay, so forth. And as you're driving on that, you know, we've had hurricanes in Florida. Rainstorms, okay. I kind of laugh when I move up here because everybody's like, it's raining hard. <laughs> it's sprinkling. Your rainstorms up here are sprinkles down in Florida, okay? Uh, we had, we had went back to Florida for Christmas time, and one of my prayers was, I mean, I'm being serious, was, God, I want to see a thunderstorm. I want some lightning. I want some thunder. I want it to rain hard. So, you know, I'm in my dad's living room sitting on his recliner, and I look out, and Dark clouds started coming and thundering and lightning, I was happy, you know. Just a little bit of excitement, yes. But you know what? To get back to the ruts. When I started God started dealing me with this message about a rut. Whoever okay, the the best way to ask this question who's ever been out to the church property? Okay. Whoever's been out there when it's not been snow on the ground? you got ruts. You're going down the whole way going, all the way down. It's the craziest thing. And I was not appreciative of the snow and ice until the snow melted. Because the snow made it smooth and nice and just awesome. But we're going to focus on a few things with Elijah in the story. You've heard several times about how many sermons, how God spoke in the still small voice. You know, we've heard that time and time again. This has nothing to do with it. Okay? I'm thankful for that still small voice. I'm thankful for that because that's how God started dealing me with this. But we're going to look... And before we even go there, we need to go back and look at what happened earlier. This is a Sunday school lesson for many people that, if, you, if you've grown up in church. How Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. And he sat there and he says, okay, you go do this and we go do this and we're going to have a little battle. Okay? We're going to have a battle of gods. And, well, first of all, I'm used to talking to youth. Okay? So if I'm a little bit in a different way, I apologize. But we're all at young at heart, so that's good. Anyway. So you got Elijah just went and made fools of Ahab, Jezebel, and all the prophets. Fire just rained down from heaven. I mean it just rained down, consumed the offering, consumed the altar, everything. After that He gets another order Kill the prophets So he kills the prophets Takes them down by the creek And he kills them all Not one lives And that's where this takes Then we're going to go and The rest of our story takes up here Ahab told Jezebel All that Elijah had done Also He how he executed the prophets. Jezebel sent a messenger. Now, you know, Jezebel, she was mean. I mean, there was not a nice bone in her body. She was evil. And, interesting enough, you know, if I was in that situation, and if I was her, why would you send a messenger? Just go kill him. Just go kill him. But that ain't what she done. You know she was cocky, she was arrogant, she was proud. This is what I'm going to do. Hey, I am going to kill you. Okay? She sent word you're going to be dead soon. And this is where we take up right here. This is. I started reading this and I said, okay, God, this is my life story of what you're doing in my life right now. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and also, if I do not make your life as the life of whom of them by tomorrow about this time. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. That's what she's saying. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. Yeah, that's silly. That is silly. And he went to Beersheba. Which belongs to Judah. And and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now Lord take my life. For I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay. Now, he's laying there, and he's tired. He's weary of fighting. He's weary of battling. He's weary of serving God. I mean, that's what it comes down to was, okay, God, I'm tired. You know, Just go ahead and kill me. You know, Now I have threats, threats on my life. Just go ahead and do it now. Do it. He's tired. And suddenly an angel touched him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. That's the first part I want to look, look at tonight because... You know, God throughout Elijah's lifetime sat there for multiple, multiple times, showed up and showed out on behalf of Elijah. Several, several miracles, several instances of God's power. But most of all, most of all, he just got through seeing fire fall from heaven. It wasn't just any fire. He just soaked up the altar. He just poured gallons of water on the sacrifice. If you know the story, there was a drought in the land. You know, so he's going above and beyond to make God shine. He's going above and beyond to make God look like, hey, I'm God. I'm it. I'm the bomb. He's gonna. He's gonna show it. He's gonna show himself. Make sure God is given the honor for everything. Even to the point of, he's sitting there and he's poking fun at the prophets. You know, he's making jokes on their expense. You know, he's making Ahab and Jezebel even matter by the second. You know, picture this bald-headed guy sitting over here in the corner. It's kind of not hard to do, but he's sitting there and he's poking fun at the devil the whole time. You know, he's saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? There ain't nothing you can do. Blah, 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 blah. He's just going off on him Because he's not cocky, but he's confident what his God can do. Because he's shown up and showed out for so many times. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what's going to happen. You know, he knows that, well, he knows he's not a God. He's just a statue made out of clay, gold, silver, or something. He already knows that. But what he also knows is he can sit back, kick his feet up, God's got his back. He has his back. But what happens? We just got through reading. He sits there and he's tired. He gets one threat on his life. Do you think there was more threats earlier in his life? Of course. Of course. But not one from Jezebel. Jezebel was evil. She was evil. She's destroyed so many people. She was bad. And as soon as God shows up and shows out, the greatest miracle for Elijah, rain comes. I mean, the whole nine yards. One threat. And he runs. He runs. As fast as his little legs can take him. As far as he can get in one day. He goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And finally, he's just tired says, Okay, God, kill me. Kill me, God. Kill me. Now, I know nobody in here has ever been in that situation before. But, um, you know, I know I've been in that situation before because, you know, everything we face on this earth is not spiritual, so to speak, because there's a lot of mean people out there. You know, and they can be tools of Satan to get to you. You know, but it's not oh, Satan's coming against you every time. No, it's just a bunch of mean people. It's just a mean bunch of mean people. Now, this time though, I do believe that Jezebel was Satan as a woman. You know, that's what I believe. I'm, I'm not, I'm not calling women Satan or anything, okay? But what I am saying is, she was after him, and he got scared. He was weary, and he was tired of fighting. Okay, And I know several of us in here And if not, great I know I've been that way I've been tired of fighting I've been tired of Okay, God, there has to be more to this There has to be more in doing all of this And you can find yourself stuck in that rut You was talking this morning, Pastor About the 18 months of dryness And you was in a rut And I was thinking this morning like She's preaching my message because for 18 months, you're stuck in that rut. And this was the coolest story to me because we're going to read in a few minutes how Jesus steps in, how God Himself steps in. But He really... Don't say, let me help you out, son. He don't give him a chance to say, here's my hand, let pull you out. No. You know, you, we all have that choice. We all have the choice to stay in the rut. Um, You have that choice tonight to say, okay, God, here's what I want. I want to serve you. I want to follow along after you. I want to go to heaven. And I know that that road that leads to heaven is a narrow road. So let that be my rut. And if that's my rut, I would just take baby steps all the way down the road to the gate. You know, if that was the case, we'd all be just walking around slow, taking one step in front of the other, trying to make it to heaven. That's not what God wants us to do. You know, God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And after, and I preached this in Anchorage... When God sent His Son to die on the cross Jesus hung there It was finished But our message And our purpose of being on this earth Just started You know We just started living Whenever Christ died You know We started His ministry We picked up what He left off You know Now it's our job to introduce Him To the rest of the world So We're sitting here we're reading all this. I love the story. Go back to verse five one more time. I it's an awesome story. He's tired, he's weary. Now remember, God really has never God's never let him down before. God's always came to his rescue on God's time you know on God's time it wasn't it wasn't his time it was whenever God wanted his self to be seen you know i thank God for Ron Hall i thank God for his message his testimony you know he's a man of faith you know he's been battling this what 9 years now and it's a very long time and one day, God's going to heal that man. If if he hasn't yet. If he hasn't yet. It might not be on this earth. It might be when he gets in heaven. But here's the whole thing to it all. It's God's timing and not ours. Elijah's tired. Elijah's tired. He's stuck in that rut. We're stuck in that rut. We're going along as hard as we can, as far as we can. But remember, driving a semi, you're going... 50, 60 miles an hour, as fast as you can go, you get out of that rut and it's painful. It is painful to get out of a rut. Even on a dirt road, you're driving on a dirt road in a car, you want to get out of that rut, you've got to take a chance sometime and get the wheel some. And when you get that wheel, it's going to jar you. It's going to do certain things to your vehicle. It might tear it up. But spiritually speaking, when you get in that rut, you know it's going to not be a good feeling to get out of that rut. It's not. It's going. It's going to be something very painful. Very painful. You know, we have to die daily to ourselves. It's something that we have to do. If you don't think so, you're sadly mistaken. You have to die daily. And that's what Elijah's sitting here doing, okay? He's like, God, kill me. He's not wanting to die daily, he just want to end it all. You know, he was tired. He is tired. He is tired of fighting. He's tired of going on with this. And after God sent the angel to feed him, After God sent the angel to minister to Elijah, now remember, God's not speaking to Elijah right now. The word of the Lord has not came forth to Elijah. God's just sending encouragement and preparation and nourishment for Elijah for what's lying ahead. That's what's going on here. He's still stuck in that rut. He's still stuck in... A place where nobody really wants to be. And that's a dangerous spot. Kill me, God. Kill me. End it now. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the battles. I'm tired of everything that's going on. He's saying, Kill me. Verse 11 Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire you know I'm going to stop there because here it is tragedy happens you know tragedy is going to happen When the Twin Towers fell, you know, everybody was like, God, you know, it's the end of the world. God, what's going on? Did we do something wrong, you know? Is it judgment? No. It's just a bunch of bad people. You know, God caused the rocks to fall. You know, He caused a mighty earthquake to shake. He caused the fire. You know, we've had two house fires in our marriage in five years. Yes. So, you know, don't ask us for fire insurance because we probably won't get it and it was very ironic about the fire here because God was not in the fire either but for us the second fire God was in the fire destroyed everything but God was in the fire and here's how ironically not ironically but we were youth pastors at a church down in Florida and the speed of the light message was led by fire for the whole year. Yes. So we had the fire, you know, and our district stepped in, and they were great to us. <coughs> they helped us in every avenue, every aspect possible. Well, our superintendent was a, you know, very funny guy. We started talking one, one day, and started sharing about the fire and how things had happened and maybe why they had happened. You know, but like I said, it's funny, he says, What you should do, just for laughs, is tell everybody you was praying so hard the fire fell. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But then I was talking to this um district youth director and I'm like, Yeah, you know, we're just being led by fire. And after I made that statement to him, the Lord spoke to me and says, well you are being led by fire you are being led by fire a few weeks prior we were renting uh, staying in a place for my sisters and we got comfortable we got comfortable in a spot of being a youth pastor at a small country church living a nice little simple life and my wife just detailed the whole house from top to bottom I mean, detailed it from top to bottom. You could eat off the floor that clean. And a few weeks earlier, you know, we made a list of something that we thought in our heart that we wanted to do for God. And what we were going to do was start a mission trip with every state. You know, we're going to start in Alabama. Alabama. And then Alaska. Well, things happened where we couldn't go to Alabama. Which, technically, we only had to go three miles and we're in Alabama. <laughs> but, yeah, we didn't live far, you know. We, like, three miles north was Alabama, three and a half miles was Georgia. So we're right there in the corner of Florida. So we're sitting there, and Alaska comes up. You know, it'd be cool. You know, we got family that lives up here, take a little mission trip, do a little work for God and see the country up here you know it's beautiful well we had it posted up on our bedroom wall big old list of what we're going to do and who and what people we could take for our trip you know because there's certain people you don't want to go on trips with you know yes I will go with you to Alabama but I'm not going with you to Alaska you know that's too far of a plane ride so you know we had the fire lost everything sharing with the superintendent and the district chief director all what God was doing one thing led to another and was cleaning up from the fire and the date well (coughs) the date of when we wanted to take this trip to Alaska was still on the wall it was singed and burned and everything but we had the fire July the 4th. We thought it was fireworks going off. Me and my wife stayed up. We love the Civil War time, so we watched this movie. And we were watching the movie, and we heard these popping and cracklings, you know. And we thought it was just simply fireworks going off. And quick testimony of how God works in crazy ways my grandpa at the time had Alzheimer's, and somebody always had to stay with him at nighttime. My grandmother was not able to take care of him. So what had happened was, my dad lives about an hour from him, and on Saturday nights, sometimes he had to spend the night with my dad as a pastor, so I didn't want him to have to spend the night and drive all the way back and preach, and so on and so on. I'm like, I'll stay. And I've done that with him for quite a while, for over about a year's time taking his spot and helping out well what had happened was like dad you know it's July 4th but not really doing anything I'll stay tonight he goes no son I think you need to stay home with your family tonight you know and I'm like are you sure because I know in, you know he won't get relief till 8 o'clock that morning he's got to preach at 10 so I know he's going to be in a hurry to get back I'll stay I'll stay I'll stay no you're not go Okay, I'll stay with my family. My wife and I went to bed about 11.30 that night. Maybe midnight. Long movie. And I woke up about 30, 45 minutes later in a panic. I mean, it was a fear of God panic. And I got up and I searched the house. Nothing was wrong with the house. Nothing was wrong with the house. Checked on Peyton. He's at a very far end. We're in a single-wide trailer. Okay, Very far end of the house. He's there sleeping. I go outside. I check the house. Nothing was wrong. And come back to bed. And I woke up my wife, and she was mad at me. So he woke me up. I kind of scared her when I got up, you know sorry. I told her what happened and just went on back to sleep. About 2.30 comes around and, you know, I had to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, I woke my wife up one time I'm not going to wake her up again, so I'm going to go to Peyton's bathroom at the far end of the house. Well, I opened up the house and it was a little smoky. And I go a little bit further and I turn on the lights and there's smoke in the hallway. My wife's at the far end and Paintings at the other end, and I see smoke coming out of the middle bedroom door. I open it up, and the bed's just in flames. The curtains on fire, and flames are going up the wall. And I'm sitting there. I mean, and it's just panic. I mean, it's panic. And what happens next was I yell probably the highest pitch yell I could yell in my life, but Amy heard me. She came running down like with a panic on her face. She sees smoke. But we're already going through one fire. I grab Peyton, get him, we make it out. And, you know, it's a little comical, but go back in and get my pictures. So, like a good husband, For the second time of running into a burning house, I got the pictures. (laughs) Yes. So we got the pictures from many years of family. So we got pictures. With all that being said, there was a... That happened July 4th. About September or August, we started, you know, feeling an urge to move up here. You know, and I met with our board and our pastor. I said, okay, here's what's going on. Laid it all out on the table for him. Well, can you stay till January? Well, we're going to wait six months before we leave. You know, we have to prepare to leave Florida to Alaska. You just can't go. So this whole time, you know, we're different churches and trying to raise money because you know we were going to go as independent assemblies of god missionaries yeah so from then on we serve faithfully with the youth do all kind of stuff like if we get a youth pastor in the meantime you train them and get them sure that's fine the time comes and we get ready to move when here's a kicker to it all we had already placed in our hearts a time of when we're going to move to alaska but we really kind of forgot about when we were going to move to Alaska. Not move, but go on this mission trip. And our mission trip was dated for March the ni- or March of 2010. We left March 19th, or we stepped foot on Alaska, March the 19th of 2010. So even from July 4th, 2009, we were being led by fire. You know, so that's our whole fire story. And to say God's got a sense of humor, we gotta heat with wood stove. We gotta heat with a wood stove. We don't like candles, we don't like anyway, that's a different story. To get back to this though, Jesus or God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. He don't have to come to you in a great mighty way.
1: He can say, Hey.
2: Hey, listen to me. This is what I want you to do. I want to give you a little nudge. It's a little nudge. And you know that one little nudge is enough to get you out of the rut.
0: That's all it took was one little nudge. One little nudge, one little whisper from God saying, What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? And that's what he asked Elijah was, What are you doing? Haven't I shown up and shown out for you enough? And you want me to kill you now? I mean, okay, I'll do it, but what are you doing? Is that really what you want to do or is that just your flesh talking? You know, I won't be too transparent with anything, but over the past two weeks, you've seen me down here. And it's like, God, Don't kill me. I don't want that. But God, what are we doing here? You know, why are we here? Why did you send us up here? God, we got a son in prison. We can't do this. We can't do that. But God we're serving you faithfully. You know, I'm not gonna be like Job's wife and just curse God. No, you know, I'm scared of God. I have a holy fear of God. I really do. God, I'm here at my wit's end, (laughs) be impatient. I'm trying my best, but a one-way ticket home is good. I could do it. I'll be miserable for the rest of my life, but I'll do it. You know, we can see our kids, we could do this. But I remembered about. actually 17 when God called me to preach. I laughed. I said, No. <laughs> I remember the church. I remember the altar. I remember the message. And that message is the one that stuck to me to this day. But I remembered that altar call. I remember God saying, son, I want you to preach. And I remember looking at this cross at the time and I said, No. I'm not. There ain't no way. My dad's a pastor. Oh So for about 12 years, I fought it hard. I mean, I fought it hard. And for 12 years, I was miserable. I'm like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this? Oh. I was in camp meeting. If you don't know what camp meeting is, it's the like district council for the assemblies of god that's all it is is just a southern term for camp meeting and we're sitting there and i'm at the altar my good friend and my pastor, sitting there with me and like i don't get it i can't understand what is happening here i do not get it i don't know why he leaned over to me and he says are you doing what god called you to do it was like deathly silent in this camp meeting room, okay? There's 100, 200 people at the altar shouting and screaming, but I couldn't hear a word except him saying, are you doing what God called you to do? No, I'm not. You know, this was the same uh, pastor that, I was his children's pastor for for a while. I'm like, you know what? You should know that I'm doing what God called me to do, you know? I'm good at this. No, that's not what God called, called you to do. You're just putting a band-aid over a little sore. You know, that's all I was doing was, okay, God, I'll get about ankle deep in and I'll just preach to the children. They don't hurt. (laughs) You know, because I've seen how my dad was treated. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. You're crazy. And so that's how everything fell into place. And I'm like, you know what? This was playing over my mind this whole week. I'm like, okay, God. Don't want to be miserable. I refuse to be miserable. And if you want to use me, I will still be patient. I'll wait on you because it's not my time, it's your time. And I know that I'm still in the fire, and it's really painful, and it really hurts. And I know that, God, you got this big, massive plan for my life and my family's life, and I really don't want to do it. I mean, this was my conversation this whole week, because it's a whole lot easier to go home in a comfortable life and just work a dead-end job and die than to serve God. That's what I was thinking, you know, but then this whole past week, I'm like, okay, God, that's not good enough for me anymore. You know, just living a life of nothing is not good enough. And, you know, the Word says taste and see. Well, I've already tasted and seen that God was good. But I also started tasting bitter apples. You know, and a Granny Smith apple that's not ripe is awful. Even better, rhubarb. Raw. My wife makes an awesome rhubarb little stuff. And it was the first time I ever had it. She said, but you got to try it raw first. It's bitter. It's bitter. I could see what Elijah was going through. He was stuck in a rut and so was I. You know, I knew that there was only one way out of the rut. My wife couldn't get me out of the rut. My pastor could not get me out of the rut. Sunday night, pastor came over to me and says, Hey, how you doing? Good. No, you're not. Eh, Yeah, you're not. Let's talk. You know, so I believe it was a God thing that we never talked. You know, I talked to him after the fact. If you're listening, I love you. But, But God at that time didn't want me to talk to you. He wanted me to talk to him. So I got myself right with God. And I said, okay, God, I'm in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, you know, there were struggles going on and going on and going on. And I'm like, okay, God, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. Was I was also invited to go to Maui. I'm going. But I was invited to go to Maui for this next conference coming up. I'm leaving next Wednesday. But, you know, the only thing was, I got to get my plane ticket. Everything else was taken care of. I'm like, I'm not going to get a $1,000 plane ticket. On top of just everything else, I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. And uh, God provided the ticket. So, you know what? I've never been before. So I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see where this church was burst out of. And besides that, I can't wait to get to about 90 degrees humidity. <laughs> I'm from Florida, so that sounds good. Elijah, though, I'm just about through. Elijah, you know, we get stuck in a rut so many times that you just walk through this life and you get satisfied and you get happy with what you're doing. You know, I was happy being a CentOS route driver. If you don't know what that is, I delivered uniforms. Yes, I loved it. It was a good job. This is a little for you here. I was satisfied with working at Walmart. I was satisfied of being a manager at Subway. I was satisfied at working for the junior college, cutting grass. I was satisfied for... A lot more. I was satisfied with working for Teen Challenge, you know, helping these troubled kids. I was satisfied by by working for the juvenile justice system, you know, and that's where God started birthing passion in my heart for youth was working with the kids at Teen Challenge and for the Department of Juvenile Justice. But I got satisfied in all these jobs, I thought. Because I could pay my bills. I could go to church like a good little preacher's kid. I mean, I was a good preacher's kid. It was just the deacon's kids I was playing with that caused me to be bad. <laughs> anyway, you know, I sat there, though, and I thought I could hide from God. I thought I could hide from God. Okay, God, I do this. Nothing. I do this, nothing. I do this, nothing. Okay, God, I'll serve you. Wow. You know, that's when God opened up my eyes. <coughs> Verses fifteen and sixteen, we find out God never coddles, pampers, pacifies Elijah. Nowhere in this text of 1 through 16, he sits there and he pacifies Elijah. He just sits there and says, okay, son. Hey, angel, we don't know what angel. Hey, go feed him. He gets fed. Because he knows what's fixing to lie ahead of him. Forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. He gets in the wilderness. You know, he's in a dry, dry place. He has not heard from God. You know, God, is that you in the earthquake or the wind or the fire? No. Shut up. And listen to me boy here I am I'm talking to you my favorite part of this whole message is this right here God never never sat there and he tried to do anything for Elijah except love him after his little pouting time I want to call it as his little time of saying woe is me somebody wants to kill me after all this time of his little time of woe is me, this is what God tells him. I love it. God sits there and says, "Go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint the king. You know, make him king." Then God and then go, so "Go on and anoint Jehu and everybody else." Basically, God was saying. Enough's enough, son. Get back to work. I called you to do it. Go do it. I called you to preach my word. I called you to live a life holy and blameless before God and others. I told you to do all this. Now go do it. But God is hard. So do it. Whenever Jesus was ascending to heaven, He says, Go ye therefore make disciples of all men. Okay? Who is He telling that to? His disciples. That's what His last mandate and order was, was to His disciples. Go ye therefore to all the world, preaching the gospel. We're all Christians here, I hope. If you are, you're a disciple of God. The order's for you too the order's for you it's ordered for me you know God's called me to preach He's might not called you to preach but guess what God called you to go make disciples still anyway you know so we all have a mandate to do Elijah got stuck in a rut I've gotten stuck in a rut I know we've all got stuck in a rut last story and I'm done plow truck church truck yes me and the church truck and the snow plow don't mesh very well together. You know, we're at Hatcher's Pass. Thank God for that place. It's going to be a greatly, mighty, used property for God. It will be. But in the meantime, we're out there and it's snowing. You can't get in and out of that property without it being plowed. There's been several mornings that I try to With only about six inches of snow. Making halfway down the drive. Hey, work, I can't come in right now. I'm stuck. Me and my wife at three or four o'clock in the morning out there with shovels trying to dig out. And then, but, get back to my story though. We had the church truck out there and it was quite a bit of snow. And one thing that I, one thing I have learned though was with snow, it's fine if it's in one spot. You throw the wind into it, you've got trouble. This boy's from Florida. I've never had an Alaskan winder on my own before. So we sit out there and we, I'm plowing the property, plowing the property. I'm like, you know, I can go this way. I thought I was invincible because I had four-wheel drive. No. No, I've I've, I've talked with Seamus about this a couple times You can get stuck with a four-wheel drive I got stuck with a four-wheel drive Not only did I get stuck in a four-wheel drive I buried the truck in a four-wheel drive (laughs) This was on a Friday You know, I talked with Pastor He was like, you know, he didn't know it was stuck He was like, you know, I'll probably get back to you Monday or Tuesday Well, he called me Sunday morning And he was like, hey brother like 7 o'clock where he texted me 7 o'clock in the morning hey can you bring the church truck to the church in the morning I literally just about start crying and I was like sure you know, what else am I going to say You know, I figured he needed so I was going to get it for him so I get out there I get bundled up I get my shovel and I start digging and digging and digging and digging two hours into it the truck ain't moving it's not going nowhere. I'm just spinning. and snows dirt, everything. I'm going nowhere with it. I dig more and I dig more. <laughs> I shared this with a few of y'all here. I got so mad. I took the shovel and I threw it as far as I could. <laughs> and this is intertwining with the whole message, trust me. And I sit there and I say, God, why can I not get unstuck? I mean, it was just frustration. I was mad. Two hours into it, Pastor needs the truck. I got to get dressed for church, and I'm cold. And as I'm walking, have my little pouting party, the Lord speaks to me, and He says, If you want to get unstuck, you got to dig deeper. I'm like, Oh, wow. What does that mean, God? So then I started thinking about it. I go get the shovel. And I kid you not, I go behind the two rear tires and dug a hole about two inches further down. Within seconds, I was unstuck. Within seconds, I was unstuck. Then I started thinking about it even more. God, why do I keep on getting stuck in everything I do? Well, because you ain't following hard after me and what I called you to do. And when I do get in that space, that pot in that spot of being stuck, you've got to dig a little bit deeper to get out, and that's where I was finding myself. I was stuck in a rut. You know, I had a little Ford, a little Ford truck that I bought. I'm so naive about Alaska. <laughs> I mean, I just bought the truck. It was a nice little Ford Ranger. Nice Ford Ranger. I get it. I'm like, all I gotta do is throw some wood or sandbags in the back. I won't get unstuck. Or I won't get stuck. Well it didn't take me long to get pulled out a couple of times my bumper being torn off the truck. And so on to find out that truck's no good. A Ford Ranger, two wheel drive, it's no good in Alaska. But I'm naive saying it's a truck. I can do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I've learned through this whole process that, just like Elijah, you know, when you get in that rut, when you get stuck on what you're doing, you know, people here tonight, you can get stuck in everyday life. You can get stuck in serving God. You know, you can get satisfied in what you're doing. You can get satisfied in just coming to church, warming the pew for an hour or two paying your tithes, praying an offering and being good little Christian you can get very satisfied in doing that you know in your fleshly self you know that's that spirit of religion or spirit of obligation of I have to go to church today, I have to because it's Sunday or it's Tuesday, I have to do that, I have to do this you can get satisfied in doing all that you're stuck in that rut And sometimes you don't need nobody else. But you think, all I need is the pastor or the pastor's wife to come and lay hands on me and just pray a special prayer or blessing over me or speak a word for me. All I need is the pastor to prophesy over me. And when he does that, everything's going to be hunky-dory. The pastor's just a man. He's just a vessel. If God don't want him to do anything, he won't do anything. If God wants to slap you around some, to get you uncomfortable, get you uneasy, God might want you or me to dig deeper for ourselves and not use others for a crutch. Elijah himself knew God's power. We know God's power. But he got tired. He got weary. You get tired, you get weary, so do I. All you have to do is just dig a little deeper. When you get stuck in that rut, that's all we have to do.
2: Just uh, take a moment. I'm going to have um, Brother Trent Nehmey come and pray for you. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're in a rut. Maybe you're stuck spiritually or just with something in your life that you've been... Maybe your life just feels really mundane in God. Maybe you just feel like you're going through the motions. Maybe you feel dead inside. Maybe you just want to be more on fire. Maybe things in your life, you constantly find yourself getting stuck tonight that was a great word why don't you just come up here and seek God because just like our brother said God can touch you and it's all about choice it's a, just continual yielding to him listening to his voice obeying what he's called us to do and sometimes it's just wait wait and you're just waiting and waiting and when you're waiting it doesn't always mean you're stuck it just means you're waiting That's what you're supposed to be doing is waiting. But maybe you're not in that waiting. Maybe you are stuck. So if that's you, just come and get a hold of God tonight. Reach out for the hem of His garment. And press in. We'll just have an altar time right now. Trent, name you guys can lay hands on people. If you need prayer, come on up.
0: There was a some verses that I never got to share that I think is vitally important to tonight's message and to what you're facing now. It don't matter what kind of rut that we're in. Or you could just be waiting on God. You know, you don't have to be stuck. You could just be patiently waiting on God's timing and God's will. Psalms 37 verse 23 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's okay to get stuck, it's okay to get fall, or to fall. That's a lie. You're going to fall. But I once heard this statement that just changed my whole outlook. It don't matter how you fall. It all matters how you get back up. So if you get stuck, get stuck. Just dig your way out and keep on going. Just keep on going. You know, we never want to end a service by not giving somebody a chance to meet our Jesus. Because the Jesus I know will change your life forever. And if you've been in this church long enough, you've heard this time and time again, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you haven't. But if you want to meet my Jesus... And meet the Jesus of many other people that can change your world forever, change your life forever. You want to give your heart to God tonight. Or you're not sure of your salvation. You're just not sure that or you've heard the enemy give you that little whisper in your ear that you're not saved. You're stuck. If you was not stuck, you wouldn't be doing this. But, you know, because you're stuck, you're not a Christian, if that's you. Or you just want to be sure, or just a recommitment, anything. Say this prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for my life. Thank you for every opportunity that you've given me. Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. Cleanse me. Save me. Set me on fire. Lord, give me a four-wheel drive power to not get stuck. Give me that Holy Ghost four-wheel drive power. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: God Let's go ahead and We'll just go ahead And close in the word of prayer After we're done with that You guys can feel free To congregate and fellowship Let's close Father we just thank you For this word Thank you for the words You've given to our brother Trent God We pray that you just just Help us God As we get into our ruts As we get into As we get stuck God That you'd help us God Help us to dig deeper To dig deeper God Deeper and deeper Into what you want us To, to to find God. We ask you God as we go about our days, we go home, and as we travel wherever you want us to go, God, that you protect us. We thank you for what you've done and what you are gonna do in Jesus' name. in You, and everything I ever wanted I found in You, and everything I ever wanted I found in You.